0: You're listening to The Leader's Table, a podcast by Lee Studios from Leadership for Educational Equity.
1: Hey, Taylor. Hello there, Cindy. So glad to see you
0: today. Likewise. And to all the civic leaders listening out there, a big hello to you as well. Of course. We're so glad to have you joining us. Today's interview at the Leaders' Table is with a Lee member that we're super excited for everyone to get to know. Oh, yeah? Who is it? Well, like many first-generation Americans growing up in the United States, Dr. Alora Diaz struggled to get access to resources and support, but because of her natural curiosity and her ambition to serve, she's become the governing board president for Phoenix Elementary School District 1 in Phoenix, Arizona.
1: Oh, I like this story already. It sounds like it's got a happy ending. Well, actually, there's no end
0: in sight for the amazing change that Alora will be able to make in her community. She is focused on making sure that young students are all given the equitable resources and support they need to succeed.
1: But we're going to let her share more about that herself. Are you ready for a listen? Yes, let's get this started. Pull up a seat, everyone. Here's Jason Lorenz at the Leaders' Table with Dr. Alora Diaz.
2: Dr. Elora Diaz, Governing Board President for the Phoenix Elementary Number One School District. Welcome to the Leaders' Table.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me today.
2: So excited to get to know you and your leadership journey. You have been elected to the District Governing Board since 2019. You have higher education experience and you've also been a policy advisor to Phoenix Mayor Greg Stanton. You've had some really interesting experiences and I'm I'm super curious to start with the question of what made you run for office?
3: There are, I think, quite a few different answers um, to that question. And I'd have to say that it really starts with my upbringing in similar environments, um, such as the one where I chose to serve. Um, I was a a first-generation college student, college graduate. my mom, she had me when she was 16 years old. And for us, education had always been a key driver to what could be a successful future. And so my mom really emphasized college. She really emphasized education as a way to give back to our community and other communities like ours. And so um, all throughout college, I, I had this ambition to to serve. I just didn't know what that really looked like. And I tried out a few different career pathways. I went into teaching, um, which really opened my eyes to educational inequity in a different sense. Um, I had always attended underperforming schools, Title I schools, and I I was able to see what it was like from the student perspective. But once I got into the classroom, um, through my Teach for America experience, I began to just see how our system was really flawed, I would suppose, um, in that it just, it wasn't set up in a way that would help all students learn to the best of their ability. and for me, I, I'm a very curious person. So I, I was trying to figure out like, you know, what are the drivers that could affect the education of my students and students in schools just like this? And um, after I left the classroom, I went into um, the nonprofit space. I worked uh, to, to build up a coalition to help youth who are disconnected from school and work. And I found my way into policy um, with Mayor Greg Stanton and um, through through all of these different experiences and just seeing how education could be affected through different facets of our society, I realized that part of the issue were the policies that were that were being made or not being made and um, I started to explore you know how could I have a more direct, uh, impact with regard to policy and children. And so I started to look into different jobs. I started to look into offices, um, elected offices, and uh, through all of that, I found that your local school board has um, of all elected offices. It has the most direct and immediate impact on students. And so I looked into my local school board, and found that um, those individuals who were on the board had been on the board for, you know, over 10 years. Um, some, I think, were breaching on to like 16 years. And none of the school board members looked like the demographics of our district. We're over 90% students of color, um, and our board was not reflective of that demographic. And so I just felt like, you know, this is a great way to serve my community. It's a great way to bring all of my different experiences together. And I'm gonna just put my name in the hat and see if voters would elect me. And so I decided to run um, and I thankfully I won.
2: So your experience of of attending um, underperforming schools and teaching in them, is pretty unique. I think many of us um, come through those experiences, but don't necessarily find our way to the pathways to make change. What what inspired you uniquely to both take your, your your own personal experiences, both in teaching and in in attending and say, Well, there's something wrong here institutionally, uh, legally, um, structurally, and I'm going to go and make that better.
3: So I'm I'm very perceptive of my surroundings and growing up, I knew that we didn't have everything that we wanted, but I never really understood that we were quote unquote poor. Um, it wasn't until I got to college and I saw my peers around me and I saw what they had and what we didn't have growing up and what my friends down in the South side of Tucson the way that we lived i saw that there was a a real disparity in opportunity and that really bothered me because i knew that i had talent to do so much more than what was given to me as options and i know that so many of the peers that i grew up with have immense amounts of talent and they weren't given those pathways or opportunities to really embrace that and nurture that and that really bothered me and then i saw the same with my students um there was one student in particular that i think really drove that decision he was a a very bright student but he was quote unquote that that bad kid that you know all the teachers were they they dreaded him going to their class and they treated him as such. So they had very low expectations of him and, and they just treated him very rudely. So as you would expect as a human being, you're going to, as a kid, probably respond to that. And and so he did. Um, in my class though, I treated him with respect and I did not look at him, like I, I, I did not take into account the, past behavior. I gave him a fresh start and, um, really had high expectations for Horacio. And, um, he rose to the occasion. He was a great student in my class. Um, and we just, we bonded really well. We ended up staying in contact. So I had him when he was in seventh grade and we ended up staying in contact. I mean, up until now. And, um, Unfortunately, when he was in, he just started his senior year of high school, and he ended up making a really bad, really just immature mistake. Um, And he was sentenced to three years or four years in prison, federal prison. And for me, that was kind of a turning point, Um, because what that showed me was Throughout his educational experience, he continued to be met with adversity, and he continued to be met with doubt and skepticism, and people telling him he couldn't. And so he chose that he he cho- he made a decision to to pursue a, a, a lifestyle that. I would say reinforce these negative beliefs about him. Um, So there is agency on his end, but uh, I would say that our system was very punitive. Um, Our system didn't nurture his creativity. Our system did not give him the opportunity to thrive with the talents that he had. And all of these compounded effects with you know, in addition to poverty and not having um, a stable family life, it led to that one decision that is going to impact his life forever. And I didn't want that to be the story for students out there, at least in my own local control. I, I wanted to f- find a way to to stop that cycle.
2: Elora, why did Horacio... Particularly stand out for you. What What about his story resonates for you and your whole why for leadership?
3: Um, When I was four years old, my father he uh, ended up making a decision that would result in him going to prison until I was eleven years old, and it affected not only his life but my life, my siblings' life, and if he had only had a better educational experience, maybe he wouldn't have made those decisions. Maybe he would have had people who could guide him to a different pathway. And so maybe I would have had a father growing up. Um, So I kind of see that same type of story playing out with Horacio both charismatic, very entrepreneurial, um, very bright, but they didn't have the support systems that they needed and they did not have a great educational experience.
2: Thank you for that. Yeah. How does Horacio and others that you've engaged influence your policymaking or your agenda on the board?
3: I, I would say that Anything, my my role in how I approach decisions on the board is number one, like first and foremost, does this benefit all students? And I don't mean just like our best and brightest, I don't mean our lowest performance, but does it benefit all students? And sometimes it does, and that comes at the expense of teachers maybe, or admin, or even parents, and for me, as long as I know that the students are benefiting and it reaches all students, then I'm okay with making that decision, um, and the other thing that I I feel like I do often is I am constantly asking questions and trying to explore beyond what we're doing. Um, So, so by that, I mean, I don't think it's enough to just check the box and, you know, approve your annual, I, I don't know, your, your just your traditional decision making that you have to get done and do. I like to bring up, you know, new policy ideas, new innovative models, things that I think will help all students um in a differentiated way
2: yeah so not everyone takes your experiences though and decides to run for office i mean you did policy work and in service of the mayor for example that could have been a path for you what was the moment that you just knew that you needed to run for office as opposed to any of the other pathways of change that were in front of you
3: um I really think it was when Horacio was sentenced to prison um, that that was a that was a telling moment for me um, because again I think I think a lot of it had to do with the with policies that weren't put in place um, in in the school systems where he was and I don't think that So as an elected official, I I don't think that we're the only ones that can make a difference for students. I think we're a piece of the puzzle. And I think one of the important things that we do as elected officials are to make connections to other parts of the community. um, Because really, a student's experience and a student's success is all-encompassing. So um, I view part of my role as an elected official, as a facilitator, and um, somebody who's going to introduce the right people to the district to make that difference.
2: Yeah. Why is it important that you represent your community and that your community has representation from someone that reflects the experiences of so many kids in the district on a daily basis?
3: I think it's important because if you never grew up in poverty, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to advocate for changes that would reduce um, the impacts of poverty. But if you did grow up in poverty like I did, you have firsthand experience of the hardships that families and children face when they don't have the things that they need Um, and when You know, they're exposed to trauma and violence. And so because of that, I think I have a different sense of urgency. Um, For me, it's not, you know, sufficient to say, oh, well, we'll just put that off for a year. We'll come back to that, you know, no we need to make this decision now, we need to look into this decision now, because these kids don't get a second time at seventh grade, or eighth grade. So I I just think it's the urgency that uh, my experience brings me that um, really shapes my perspective and helps me to be a good school board member for my kids. Um, And then it also just gives me a very intense passion to make things happen and to not um to not take maybes or no's for an answer. I always think there's a third option and we just need to figure it
4: out.
2: What's what is something that you failed at accomplishing in in your service on the board that has taught you a great deal about the future of your own leadership?
3: I would say that, so one of the things that I'm very, very passionate about um, in this time of my life is pre-K education. And that is largely because now I'm exposed to that world with my own two-year-old and it it helps again, shed light on what I didn't have growing up and what many of my students might be lacking. Um, because I can see the, the differences in, in what I'm able to provide, um, based on what was given to me as a young kid. Um, and so I've done a lot of research on, uh, Pre-K education, early childhood development, over the last several years, and one of my big pushes for the district is to make Pre-K a priority and to make it accessible for all of our potential Pre-K students. And, um, you know, I'm in my third year, and it hasn't happened yet. And what I'm starting to realize now is. I could have done things differently in the beginning that might have sped this up because what well, we're finally bringing it to the agenda, we're finally going to have a study session on it, but it's been 3 years. Um and and I wish that it didn't take that long.
2: What might you have done differently?
3: So, I would definitely say the first thing is to be strategic with who your supporters are and who your champions are. Um, I tried to do this alone in the beginning. And over time I was able to galvanize support from other people in the district, um, which I think kind of catalyzed more of a sense of urgency. Um, Cause it wasn't just me. Um, so I think you can apply that in so many different contexts. Um, and then I think, The other big thing is being firm on deadlines, just being very, um, not not leaving the, the conversation so open-ended, like, oh, that was a great, we'll, we'll come back to this and we'll talk about this later. Like, no, then things don't happen. We always have to have an actionable next step and we should have timelines for that. And I started to implement that specific strategy, I would say, just this year. And I've been seeing more results with that.
2: When you think about people of color across the country are dramatically underrepresented in elected leadership. Uh, women also dramatically underrepresented in re- elected leadership. And in our audience today is a, are young women, including many, many young women of color who want to be the next Elora Diaz. What do you recommend for them uh, in following your, in your footsteps and crafting their own path?
3: I think that you know, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman, um, might have something to do with it. But I know that when I was first approaching this decision, I was very skeptical of myself and just unsure if I could do it. I'm not the, the most extroverted person. Um, I'm not the best small talker. Uh, so I was not sure if this would be, be the right venue for my personality type Um, but I had to do a lot of self-talk a lot of positive self-talk and one of the tricks that I would constantly do I this might seem weird is I would always like ask myself like what would a man do right now like how would they be perceiving this opportunity like I need to do that and more because I'm very capable of running for office and getting elected. And I had many people tell me that I needed to wait, that it wasn't my turn, or, you know, I needed to get this experience or that experience. But you really, it's never going to be the perfect time, you just have to make the decision, go for it and commit and Um, Another little tip I have is make the decision when you're in a really good mood, and you feel like super confident and then just actually verbalize that like to somebody because and then write it in an email or something. Um, Because once you do that, like you can't really go back and you have to follow through with it. So that that was my strategy for taking that next step. Um, And then especially as a a woman of color. um, I mean, it wasn't until college really, and maybe towards like the later end of college where I started to notice women of color and positions of leadership. And um, that is that should not be the story. That should not be the case because we have so many young women of color who need to see people that look like them in positions of power positions of leadership um because they need to envision themselves in that type of role and um i cannot tell you how many young girls have told me like i want to be just like you when i grow up and honestly that warms my heart so much and it's like okay all of those phone calls I made asking people for money, or all those doors that I knocked on, all that like fear, all of that was worth it because these little girls are gaining confidence. They have hope, and they're they will do something it's something great
2: what What has changed most in you as a leader since being elected?
3: I'd say that it has made me more aware, more empathetic, and more patient. Um, So more aware in the sense that as a school board member, I represent so many different constituents and they come, it's a nonpartisan role. So they come from different perspectives. And I had to quickly realize that what I thought was you know, the right way might not be perceived as the right way or the best way by people that I was serving. And so I needed to become aware of the many perspectives around me. And I had to become empathetic and patient with perspectives that were different from mine. Um, And I think that has really helped me even in my own professional life in work, um, just to be patient with other people. Um, I would also say that, you know, being a board member, I view myself as just Elora Diaz, like this young woman from the South side of Tucson who works at ASU and who serve in their community, like nothing special about me. Um, but then when you are, in your governing board capacity, around your constituents, they they can become a little intimidated, or they um, to speak around you, or they might be um, a little just just nervous and unsure of how to approach you. And um, what I found was it was so important for me to just make sure that I'm always being as real and accessible as possible um, because I want people to always feel comfortable around me and I want people to always feel like they can speak to me and share what's on their mind. Um, So an awareness of my own um, demeanor that I am like, you know, portraying out into the public. Um, I have to be like very present and very conscious of what's going on because people have taken time out of their day to come and speak to us. And I just need to make sure that they feel valued and respected and appreciated. And I, you know, before being on the board, I wasn't used to... Um, people caring if I paid attention or not, but now they do. And I, I just always want to make sure that I'm being respectful.
4: Hmm.
2: Thank you for that. I want to move us into our short answer section. So each of these will be about a two minute answer each. And First question for you is if you could snap your fingers to make one change for kids and community, what change would that be?
3: I think that, uh, going back to an answer I had earlier, um, every single child would have access to early childhood development and preschool um, before they entered uh, kindergarten. And so um, that would extend to the time that they were in their mommy's tummy there. Um, We would make sure that our government, our businesses, everyone around is supporting pregnant women, their unborn children and then from infants to five years old because I think that would dramatically and positively change our society.
2: Hmm. What is one tool, skill or resource, maybe a life-changing podcast or a a book that you wish every leader that you know would also know about and use?
3: I I would add one category, I think it's an experience. Um, I think every single leader should absolutely be a teacher for a few years because that experience alone just helps you to become so much more empathetic. And so have such a greater sense of urgency um, for making positive change in this world.
2: What's a piece of advice you would give to your 23 year old self?
3: (laughs) Um. I would probably say to stop doubting myself. Um, I think that throughout my life, I've doubted myself a lot and I've slowed down success or I've slowed down opportunities that I could have had. Um, So I would absolutely say, just assume you can do it. And if you can't do it, you'll figure it out along the way.
2: So this is our lightning round. These are three second answers. When you feel overwhelmed or lost, what helps you refocus?
3: Um, My son, my two-year-old son.
2: What's one thing about the next generation of leaders that excites you for the future?
3: I think that they are just so much more confident and willing to do things that um, a lot of us would have been too afraid to do.
2: Hmm. Who's the hero that inspires your work today?
3: Um, I know this is going to sound really cliche, but honestly, it's my mom. She, you know, being that teenage single mom and and literally putting everything on hold just so I could have my own opportunities and dreams. Like that's a hero to me.
2: When you think about the impact you'll have over the arc of your career five, ten, fifteen years. From now, what will it look like?
3: I think that I'll find ways to allow all kids to 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 nurture their talents, whether it's um, going to college or trade school or becoming a musician um I, that's, that's a huge goal of mine is to figure out what the, the student, the child is interested in and nurture that and make sure that they're successful at that. Hmm.
2: Dr. Elora Diaz, governing board president. I, it's been such a pleasure to, to talk with you. I am so excited to see what comes up ahead for you and your career and your leadership. Um, and I thank you for your your generosity of time and and uh, and sharing today.
3: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on today.
1: And that was Dr. Elora Diaz at the leaders' table with Jason Lorenz. Thanks for sharing that conversation with us, Cindy. Of course, it was my pleasure. With great
0: conversations like that, it's hard not to share them. I love how Alora is super down-to-earth and how she's been intentional and thoughtful in her leadership.
1: I got that vibe from her, too. Leaders come in all varieties. And unlike what we sometimes see on TV, they don't have to be bombastic and dynamic to make change. You can hear that from the practical hints that Alora gave for galvanizing support in communities. Like keeping projects moving forward by making firm deadlines. And even her advice of, just assume you can do it. I feel like that's a great universal truth that civic leaders of all kinds can adopt. I
0: totally agree. And I'm definitely holding that piece of advice with me. And maybe one of you listening in also needs to just hear it. Just assume you can do it. Do it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you were inspired or learned something from the episode, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out when new episodes are released. We're on Spotify, Apple, and practically everywhere else you can get your podcasts from.
1: And if you're in a giving mood, forward an episode of The Leader's Table to a friend that you think could be inspired by the conversation. Or simply leave us a review or write to us at table at educationalequity.org. We'd love to hear from you. Our
0: show is hosted by Jason Lorenz, myself, Cindy Centeno, and me, Taylor Stewart.
1: The episode is edited by Nolan Peters and written and produced by Graham Forden. Thanks for pulling up a seat at The Leader's Table. Be well, continue to stay safe out there,
0: and until next time.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Abba Fua, and I am a Policy and Advocacy Coordinator at LEE. I lead LEE's efforts to connect members with roles in advocacy, organizing, and policy. And one of the ways we connect members with impactful roles is through Lee's job board. The job board is a curated list of employers from across the country who are looking to hire equity-minded talent like Lee members for their available positions. Hundreds and hundreds of Lee members have landed amazing roles through the job board, from entry-level roles like policy analyst or program manager to high-level senior leadership roles like executive director or superintendents. You should go straight to educationalequity.org slash job hyphen board to see the remarkably impactful roles that the lead job board has listed right now. Or maybe you're already employed, but you have a position that needs to be filled. The job board is perfect for you too. Come on over to educationalequity.org slash job hyphen board and we'll connect you to the right people right away.